It's November 7th, 2018, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum, and of course, first, we'll hear from Chalmer Lowe from Booz Allen, and he's here to tell us about the Project Jupiter Hackathon. And then we'll hear from Rodney Chong. He's the Director of Grid Modernization over at Hawaiian Electric. And he's here to tell us about some smart sensors and the making of a smart city. Of course, before we get into all of that, I want to welcome Chalmer back to the studio. And of course, Chalmer is the Dark Lord of Pai Hawaii. I love that title. And that's a local Python group here. And he's here to tell us about Project Jupiter. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Appreciate the chance to be here. Yeah, I'm always honored to be in the presence of the Dark Lord. <laughs> so Excellent. let me let me start with asking you. I've heard about Jupiter, and I've heard about Jupiter Notebooks. Maybe give us a quick update on what exactly is that. Okay. I'll start with Jupiter Notebook, and then we'll talk about Project Jupiter as a whole. Jupiter Notebooks are a tool that data analysts, data scientists, um, business intelligence analysts— um, and researchers might use to analyze data using software code uh, and be able to present both the data that they looked at, their summarizations, their results, et cetera, all in a single document that can be viewed in a browser. Um, so we have this kind of interactive platform that I, as a, a researcher or um, an analyst, can write some code and see instantaneously on the screen the results of my analysis. And I can put visualizations in there. I can put interactive tools inside there. And I can share this notebook that I've made with someone such as yourself. You can then see my code, and you can manipulate it in real time. I can put interactive tools like widgets and things to allow you to kind of change the view of the data. Um, so that's Project Jupiter's notebooks, essentially, mm-hmm. in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. It's a way to do interactive data analysis. Project Jupiter is an umbrella organization, and they support the development of these notebooks to support data scientists around the world. They have hundreds of thousands of users of these styles of notebooks, and they support things such as um, open source software development, open data, and um, they also support you know, interactive computing using a variety of languages. You mentioned I'm from Pi Hawaii, but notebooks also support languages like uh, Julia, R, Scala, and about a couple dozen other languages. So is the is the Jupyter environment pretty much an open source environment for people to get involved in? Absolutely. Uh, the entire project is open source. Anyone can contribute to it. That's mm-hmm. part of what we're going to do with the hackathon. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyone can use it for free. So folks who are doing data science don't have to buy some expensive data science toolkit. Uh, they can use Project Jupyter to help them do it for free. Now, there are several uh, proprietary uh, data analysis tools out there. Mm -hmm. What are some of the, you know, the benefits of, aside from the fact that open source is is free, I mean, but there's some some things that you might have to give up as a result of that, like support or or maybe documentation. Uh, What are some of the benefits of of going uh, Jupyter? Some of the benefits are the fact that you can change it and suit it to your particular needs. If your organization, for example, really wants to have some feature built into the tool, you can build it yourself or you can hire someone to come and build it for you. Um, and ideally, you would contribute that back to the community so everybody could take advantage mm-hmm, of that. Mm-hmm. Um, we we freely utilize the resources of people from around the world to build tools that are suitable for the masses to use. And things like Project Jupiter's notebooks are very easy to spin up and they're very easy for 
even young folks to use. Now, you have been on the sort of open source uh, bandwagon for quite a while, helping Mm -hmm. teams and coders develop for the open source environment. So this is consistent with what you're trying to do, get people involved in open source, but specifically around the Jupyter project. Very much engaged in trying to help people grow their open source skills. I'd love to see more folks in Hawaii Mm -hmm. contribute to projects like Project Jupyter or Python or some of the other open source uh, programming languages and toolkits that are out there. Um, That's part of why we're doing this hackathon. So for the hackathon that we're going to run, we're aiming to have it on the the 17th and 18th of November, two whole days, and we're going to have folks from around the island working to add features to Project Jupyter, uh, fix bugs, improve the documentation. And as part of this, we reached out to Project Jupiter and we applied for um, some support from them. And they have offered to fly out two core developers to be here on island to answer questions to help us work through the process. Pi Hawaii is going to supply a variety of mentors during this hackathon. So even total noobs, mm-hmm. people who've never really done this but they're interested in trying, can come and we'll help walk them through the process. We'll find a bug or something they could fix that's kind of at their level and enable them hopefully to be successful by the end of the weekend to contribute to an open source project. So the the coders or the, the core developers that you're inviting to Hawaii uh, – uh, are there opportunities for the coding community to perhaps interact with them or, or you know, get to know them better? At the hackathon itself, they're going to be there for two whole days, and their job is to help and to meet and greet and talk to people. I'm also looking at uh, hosting two events on the Friday before the hackathon starts for some meet and greets, having some conversations with UH about having potentially something there at UH where we can interact with some students, et cetera. And I'm also looking for an opportunity, if we can arrange one, to have maybe something here in Honolulu mm-hmm. area with folks from the business community as well. So the uh, typically, you know, in a hackathon, people come in and they are uh, encouraged to do anything sort of free form and maybe ideate yeah. and, and create a prototype or, or something. But in this case, it's more directed, right? Directed efforts toward a particular, let's say, bug or issue or maybe feature. I'm going to say yes and I'm going to say no. Okay. So with any open source project, there's often a list of features or bugs or things that need fixed or worked on. But especially having two core developers here, if somebody's got a really great idea that kind of hasn't already been thought of before, Mm -hmm. if Project Jupiter had this in its ecosystem, this would be fantastic. You have a chance to... You know, bounce that idea off these core developers, figure out, is this a really good fit? And you could potentially charge forward on something that isn't already on the to-do list. Okay, great, great. So if anybody's interested in in joining in uh, to the uh, Project Jupiter Hackathon, where can they go? They can go to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash J Hackathon, J for Jupiter. Sounds good. And I'll put that up on our show notes for later on tonight. Thanks, Chalmer, for joining us. Thank you very much. Appreciate the chance to be here. And, of course, we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Rodney Chong from Hawaii Electric Company. And we'll talk about smart cities. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training, Moyer Financial, and Kaiser Permanente. In my line of work, being engaged in what's happening in the world is important. I also enjoy the music and other programming that 
sparks my imagination, and I could not imagine living here without HPR 1 and 2. And so I'm glad to be a listener as well as a member and supporter. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. Now joining us in the studio is Rodney Chong. He's a, a director of grid modernization over at Hawaiian Electric, and he's here to tell us what exactly is a smart city. Welcome to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you for having me, Bert. Happy to be here to share. Great, great. So I've been sort of doing a cursory, you know, search out there for things that are happening in Hawaii with regard to this sort of quote-unquote smart city activity. But first, I wanted to maybe give you an opportunity to, can you help me define what a smart city is? Yeah, so um, let me start even more basic than that and talk about what grid modernization, because I believe grid modernization for uh, Hawaiian Electric is actually a platform to Mm -hmm. enable smart cities. So what is grid modernization? You know, that's kind of an amorphous uh, label, but really... What that is is a platform or infrastructure project for our grid to enable a number of things. Um, One thing for sure is that it's going to enable two-way flow of power uh, to get us to 100% renewable one day by 2045. Um, It's going to support a lot of customer choice with new programs that come out, especially with PV. Um, It's going to provide the ability to uh, uh, give us a more resilient, reliable grid because we'll have more information that's going to be accessible that we never had before. Um, And it's going to enable um, initiatives like smart cities, which I can talk about more too. But uh, really, grid modernization is providing uh, a communications network and sensors out there in the form of smart meters and field devices that uh, is going to bring visibility uh, to us as as an electric grid operator that you know, we never had before. Mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, up to now, until recently, we never had a need to because power flowed in one direction. But as we all know, um, to get to 100% renewables, we need to have, you know, uh, generation from sources like PV, rooftop PV, coming from the edge of the grid. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's that's something that we need to uh, do to the grid to modernize and enable that. So when you talk about the, let's say, the sensors that, uh, you know, get put out into the field, are these sensors that would potentially go t- at, the, at the household? And, and is this an opt-in, you know, let's say, feature? Or is this something that Hawaiian Electric would, would sort of, you know, mandate on in terms of, you know, whoever's getting power to have at their premise, you know, some kind of a smart meter? Yeah, no, good point. And and our opt-in approach with grid modernization is actually different than most utilities have uh, deployed in the past. So most utilities have gone to uh, uh, smart meters where they, you know, made it a requirement for all customers to have smart mm-hmm, meters. Mm-hmm. And we've tried that in the past. Uh, but, you know, grid modernization, this, this approach now is to uh, deploy it at more of an opt-in. So there are new programs out there um, that customers may have heard of, such as Customer Grid Supply Plus or um, a Smart Export, so forth. These are new programs with rooftop PV and sometimes batteries. Um, and these new programs require smart meters um, mm-hmm. because it, it is a more complex program. You need to uh, record data in different time slots, for example. But 
um, you know, if a customer wants to participate in the program, then it's an opt-in and it w- they would get a smart meter. If someone doesn't want to participate in any programs, then, you know, they don't have to get one. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one type of spe- uh, sensor is at the premise, at the house uh, with the smart meters. Uh, but there's also other sensors that would go on our lines that would give us um, information about, you know, the voltages and currents and power flow, that type of thing that we never had before. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. will help us manage the, the flow of energy um, in multiple directions from different sources, obviously. So grid modernization is a pretty uh, um, huge project. I mean, it could be, uh, you know, in terms of a community, typically what would be a good number of, of, uh, in terms of percent penetration into a neighborhood of of these smart meters so that you could get a good sense as to what that community, you know, the draw is on the uh, energy grid? Yeah, so, you know, we've um, actually for the past, I'd say about four years, uh, we've been um, uh, monitoring a number of circuits um, because we had over the past, geez, about seven, eight years, a high growth of rooftop PV. And um, because of that, you know, we have, you know, a lot of circuits that have um, high penetration and and as as an example, in the middle of the day when people are at either at school or at home, um, power is flowing backwards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, because that's the most, you know, obviously generation from PV, but nobody's using it. Um, so, you know, there's no magic number as far as when we would uh, benefit from putting these sensors out there. As people sign up for it, we'll put the sensors and we'll get more information than what we have now. Mm-hmm. But the good thing is we started a few years ago. We have some uh, sensors out there that communicate, for example, via cellular uh, connection so that we can see what's going on on the grid. And we've been able to continue over the years to put uh, uh, allow more customers to, to put in PV through various programs. So the ability for, for Hawaiian Electric to understand what is happening within any sort of community with regard to, to energy and power flow, uh, that in essence is sort of the the essence of this this smart city or smart community, just so that you have more information to manage uh you know the systems that that provide this energy yeah and and another um example of how this could be used is um obviously in cases of outages mm-hmm. so if you Bert had a, a a smart meter at your house and let's say there was an outage at two in the morning, obviously you're sleeping, you don't know about it. But the meter would uh, uh, instantly tell us that mm-hmm. there's an outage at your house, and then we can dispatch you, as opposed to you waking up at uh, eight in the morning, being late for work, and then calling the electric yeah. company. Yeah. So you know there's that added benefit, and it doesn't just have to be meters at the house. But if we have a sensor uh, on the pole, you know, a few houses down, that would also tell us too. Now, is this uh, you know what what prompted me to want to have you on the show was the an article I read about Verizon and you know, their sort of pilot uh, in, in, in partnership with Hawaiian Electric uh, helping with some of this uh, grid modernization. Is this, uh, is this a, a widespread deployment or is this pretty much just uh, isolated pockets of, of, uh, of a pilot you know, and, and you're studying the efficiency or effectiveness of this uh, deployment? Yeah, so you know, our plan is to uh, be able to provide for all customers but it's not going to be a full deployment in the next few years. Uh, our plan is to deploy this incrementally. And mm-hmm. like we talked about earlier, part of the driver is, is as a opt-in. So as people sign up for programs that require smart meters, then we would put them in. And we have to build the infrastructure for the communications network that's going to 
communicate to those sensors. So it's going to be an incremental approach. In our grid mod strategy we filed last year, it was purely an estimate, but we estimated by the year 2023 that maybe 30% of all customers uh, in three all, in all three companies uh, would have a smart meter based on them, uh, you know, uh, signing up for a program, or it could be even like there's a new development and all new customers uh, would get smart meters because we want the smart meter to be our standard meter going forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, uh, so I take it based on what you just said, you know, 2023, 30%, I mean, this is not a uh, <clears throat> an immediate deployment. This is kind of a gradual yes. deployment. So then the idea of a smart city, so we're actually at the early stages of developing this capability. How are we, Honolulu or Hawaii, in comparison to perhaps other places with the deployment of this technology? Yeah, I'd like to say um, that we're actually, I think, somewhat behind. Mm. Um, I I seen a statistic last year, and and I know this number is probably higher, but uh, I would say about 60 to 70% of all U.S. mainland customers already have smart meters. Um, 60 to 70%? That's right, that's right. So states like uh, like California, as an example, right? They've um, the utilities there uh, for their own service territory. They have done d- uh, full deployments mm-hmm. in their areas. So you know what you know. There's a lot of benefits for that. Obviously, they don't have to send out meter readers to read the meters. Mm-hmm. It's it's done over the air. Um, if they sign up for certain programs, then it enables those programs. For example, they have like time of use rates which means where someone can alter their behavior because during certain times of the day, their uh, retail electricity is less, for example. So, um, you know, we hope to, you know, uh, be able to incrementally deploy and start the process of of putting these out there and have the ability to enable programs and smart cities down the road. Uh, So, yeah, it's a little bit of catch-up, I think. Um, But the technology has been out there for a long time. Um, and a lot of utilities on the mainland have been have been deploying it. Um, and I mean, the the silver lining on it is that the technology has improved. Mm-hmm. There's more capabilities. So, in fact, I use the you know a lot of people still call them smart meters, but the industry is starting to call them advanced meters because it has more capabilities mm-hmm, and features mm-hmm. to it. So we're trying to take advantage of that. Is there a, is there a big investment on Hawaiian Electric's part to actually buy these uh, these meters and have them deployed? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's the process, right? We're in the middle of right now. So we uh, put together uh, an application. We filed it with the Public Utilities Commission in June, uh, seeking approval to uh, initiate the deployment, the the purchase and deployment of Mm -hmm. uh, these meters. So hopefully we'll get approval maybe next year. Oh, good. So I I do want to also talk a bit about the the communications network Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, enables all this uh, information to come back to Hawaiian Electric. want to hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with Rodney Chong. And we're talking about smart meters, smart sensors over at Hawaiian Electric. And this is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back. This is Bike Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum, and if you're just joining us, uh, we're talking to Rodney Chong. He's the Director of Grid Modernization over at Hawaii Electric. And right before the break, uh, we were sort of getting into what exactly, you know, 
enables these these smart sensors to communicate back to Hawaiian Electric, and this sort of dovetails into uh, you know a question that uh, that I want to maybe first ask. It's it's uh, it's great to hear that you know in terms of the the joint pole agreement, and that is now becoming a sole agreement with Hawaiian Electric, and not having to go through both Hawaiian Electric and Hawaiian Tel. I think that would help speed up a lot of the new communications technologies that are now being talked about, whether it's small cell or eventually five G. Uh, how would you characterize, I guess, you know, now this sort of sole management of all this this pole infrastructure? I think it's a great thing. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, you know, anybody that wants to use the pole as an attachment point for whatever purpose, mm-hmm. whether it be for 5G down the road, LTE, um, whatever, then, you know, they only have to approach Hawaiian Electric to, you know, uh, request that and, and come to an agreement. Uh, prior, you know, there was two entities involved. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think it's 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 a improvement. It would be an efficient process, and you know the possibilities are endless. Mm-hmm. And you know, aside from third parties, um, whether it be cell companies or whoever that want to attach things, there's I, I think even other agencies like the city or state that could benefit from this. Um, as an example, you know there might be a, a stretch of road or an area that uh, they like the police department, for our example, wants a camera. Mm-hmm. Um, so. What better place than to attach on an electric pole because they need to power the camera, so you know that's there. Um, so yeah, I think there's many uses. I think uh, people are going to think of uh, additional uses, and and they can approach Hawaiian Electric to take advantage of that. You know, we were talking about the uh, the smart grid and and grid monetization, but I think you're just uh, hitting on some applications that would be also part of the smart city, whether it's video or perhaps uh, contributing to transportation and better understanding the, the flow of traffic, as well as lighting. Uh, I mean, uh, you folks handle lighting. The uh, the folks over at City and County handle lighting. So there's uh, also ways of indicating whether a light is on or off or f- functioning or malfunctioning. So those are some of the applications that I think would contribute to this sort of smart city capability. A- absolutely. Um, so... An example of like street lighting, uh, so folks probably have recognized that the city and the state have been, at least on Oahu, have been uh, programmatically replacing mm-hmm. the old uh, sodium light bulbs with LED. And um, I think, I believe they're also replacing the uh, modules that traditionally have been photosensor and, you know, they only turn on when it gets dark. But uh, with today's technology, those modules um, have communication capabilities, whether it be cellular or radio um, and it will also bring back information as to, you know, if they lost power, for example. Um, so it would, you know, tell the city or state or whoever is controlling it that, uh, hey, you need to check out this light. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you might, maybe you don't need to rely on photosensors. You can set that thing to automatically turn on at a certain time. So it's programmable, right? So a lot of capabilities. And, you know, if in the case of a radio um, uh, capability built into those modules, it helps to build out the, the mesh and coverage for that area. So there's um, that added benefit as well. So now the the communication network that you're currently using, obviously 5G is not available, <clears throat> and you had mentioned that you could use radio or perhaps uh, you know some of the existing uh, cellular technologies. Mm-hmm. When do you see, or what would you see the predominant communication platform being for some of these smart sensors? Yeah, it really depends on the area and the density mm. of uh, devices. So 
obviously in a more dense area where there's a lot of points, then it makes sense and it's more economical to have a radio mesh system. Um, but there might be on like uh, the other islands, for example, much rural areas where there's not that much density. Um, so if they have cell coverage, then maybe that that would be the uh, an option to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also the technology called power line carry, where the signal sent over the power lines. Um, so that might make sense for a rural area that has no cell coverage, for example. Mm-hmm. So there's the good thing about the grid mod strategy and our, our view of how we're going to deploy is we're trying to keep all options open. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you say radio mesh, are, is that is that an, another technology or is that referring to kind of the 5G uh, environment? It, it's it's a different technology. It's re, it's using, oh, here's a good example. In fact, I, I'm seeing it at Costco and Sam's Club, mm-hmm. actually. So, you know, most of us over the years have bought a wireless router, and it's one device. You kind of strategically put mm-hmm. it in your house, right, and right. you try and position antenna so you get a good coverage. But, um, you know, there's a dead spots even at your house, right, for Wi-Fi coverage. So I see now where they're marketing as mesh, where you have mesh Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. And so you have, like, three... Um, um, components that you strategically place around the house and it gives you broader coverage. Mm-hmm. So the radio mesh is kind of similar in that, you know, you have a, a, a smart device um, on the field, a field device or a smart meter at your house, but it provides those hops, so to speak, to build out the, the coverage. Yeah. Now, when, you, when you're deploying uh, a uh, radio mesh, Hawaiian Electric would deploy that, that radio mesh. Do you see maybe you're already in there, uh, doing Hawaiian Electric doing more in the communications field? Well, um, you know, that that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. So I think initially we would be, for the purpose of the grid monetization, uh, we would deploy the mesh um, ourselves um, on our uh, infrastructure, like the poles um, and any assets in the area. Um, and maybe there's going to be additional usage that, you know, when we get into the smart cities, for example, um, you know, I, I think there's applications where you can tie the information, uh, the communications network and the data we get into other uses outside of Hawaii Electric. A, a good example of that is, um, you know, like if, if there's an outage in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, one of the first people, first responders are the ones that want to know about these outages. So if, for example, the police department or fire department knew that there was an outage in the area, especially if there's traffic lights involved, then obviously, you know, even instead of customers having to call them or even us telling them, they're automatically notified. So I see that synergy down the road where uh, the, the investments and the infrastructure that we're putting in now will have more uses outside of Hawaiian Electric. So if a, let's say the, uh, the city and county came to you and said uh, they want to put maybe some, some video cameras up, would they be able to leverage the radio mesh uh, as a result of your putting that communication network together? I guess, first of all, it would depend if we have coverage there in mm-hmm. that area mm-hmm. because, you know, I've, like I said, we're not going to do a full deployment over the next few years. It's going to be incremental. But uh, assuming there is uh, coverage in the area, then we're going to have to look at the uh, technical requirements to enable that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know exactly what they are right now, but I think it's worthy of having that discussion. Now, in the last couple of seconds, uh, uh, well, maybe I should just uh, stick to the, the basic question, but I do want to hear when can you accelerate this? This sounds exciting. This is cool. First, we got to get 
regulatory approval with the Public Utilities Commission. So that's that's the key step. I and see. Uh, we're at the stage two now where we have a uh, vendor that we've uh, connect, uh, 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 awarded to, conditionally awarded to. So we got to do testing. So Okay. Well, I'll um, um, send me the link for the uh, where people can find out more information about grid modernization at Hawaiian Electric, and I'll put that up on our show notes for later on tonight. Rodney Chong is the Director of Grid Modernization over at Hawaii Electric. I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Let me share. And, of course, uh, thank you for listening to Bite Mark Cafe. Join us next week when we'll talk about the Natural Energy Lab of Hawaii and the Aquaculture Accelerator. If you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. If you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email me at, bite at the feedback at bitemarks.org. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at Bitemarks. Our engineer is David Chong. And, of course, you can catch us on HPR1 every Wednesday or anytime via the HPR app. You stay awesome, and we'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. We are